Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Holy Father, once again we come before you and thank you for your word. Thank you that we're not left to our own reason or imagination, but that you have recorded in clear and precise terms that salvation is of the Lord. That there is a God in heaven that you have always existed. There's never a time when you were not, there will never be a time when you are not. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and designated as the I Am. Jehovah of heaven and earth, One God in a trinity of beings, incomprehensible, invisible, eternal, immortal, and while we use such words to express who and what you are, we still are unable to comprehend comprehend you, your son, or the Holy Spirit. Realizing and knowing that the Holy Spirit resides in us who are born again, and yet when we see our sinful bodies for what they are, we even wonder how it is that the Holy Spirit could tabernacle not only with us, but in us. Profound truths. Truths that the world scoffs at and laughs at and ridicules in every way. And even when our minds were blinded at one time, we were no different from the world 
And if it were not for your grace, we would still be no different from the world. We would be scoffing and blaspheming the Holy One of Israel. But you had mercy upon us. And we ask our God that you would bless us now as we study somewhat of the divine working within the heart of a sinner, elected and redeemed by thy grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. As we left off this morning, we come back to verses 4 and 5 of 1 John. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? There's a lot that could be extracted from these two verses. As we have seen going through 1 John, even though we have looked at some things uh, in some detail, there's a whole lot more that we haven't brought to the surface than what we have. We could actually go back through 1 John again when we got through, get through with it and no doubt bring out a whole lot more that we never even brought out at first. But this epistle is as you know, and as we've been going through it, this epistle is really compacted and very, very demanding of who is and who is not a child of grace. And we come back to that in these verses. He talks about overcoming. And he that is born again, if nothing else is taught, is taught in these two verses, he that is born again overcomes the world. He that overcomes the world is born of God. We saw this back in chapter 4 of 1 John, particularly verse 4. 
Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Now who is it that is in us? Without going back and preaching another sermon on it, it's the Holy Spirit. And yet, we do not feel some pulsation of energy or some electrifying emotion that testifies that the Holy Spirit is in us. If the Scriptures did not say so, I couldn't believe that the Holy Spirit is in me. When I see my sorry self, I cry with the Apostle Paul, O wretched man that I am. I don't love God 24-7 with my heart and soul and mind and body and spirit. I even have sinful thoughts when I'm asleep. So obviously, I'm not devoted to the Lord 24-7 at that time. I can waste time throughout the day. I can go to sleep reading the Bible. I can go to sleep praying. You think, well, how, how could you be in God's presence and go to sleep? Because I'm a sinner. And you would think if the Holy Spirit were in me, I would be uh, far more uh, energetic in reading and studying and praying and things of that nature. And yet, at the same time, the Bible testifies to the fact that the Holy Spirit is in me. Not only Romans chapter 7, but Galatians chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, thereabout, I really understand where it says that the flesh lusteth against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh and these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. In other words, 
Because the flesh, I'm still in the flesh, I can't serve God as faithfully as I would like. That's my fault. That's not God's fault. And yet, thankfully, because the Spirit is in me, I don't serve myself in sin as much as I would if the Spirit is not in me. So I'm thankful that the Scriptures not only teach that the Spirit is in me, but it teaches that there is a warfare because if it didn't, I would be, a, I would be very miserable. But at the same time, the Scripture does teach that the child of grace overcomes the world. It's not that we well I'll just leave it at that that there is uh, with that fact we still have the warfare and if anybody teaches that the child of grace does not overcome the world then he is preaching a perverted gospel according to Galatians 1.7. Overcometh, in verse, uh, whatsoever is born of God, overcometh the world. That is what's called in the Greek language, present active indicative. That is, he continually, day by day, overcomes the world. It's a way of life. What do you mean by overcoming the world? I like what Robert Candish said in his uh, exposition of 1 John. And I'll read that. He said, What is the world to you? It is whatever. It is whoever is apt to make you feel God's commandments to be grievous. You see, in verse 3 it says, God's commandments are not grievous. Well, if there's something that causes you to think that God's commandments are grievous, they're hard, then that's the world. That's sure not God telling you that. He goes on to say, that is a searching test. If faithfully applied by one deeply conscious of that carnal nature in himself, even in his renewed self, which is ever ready to prompt or to welcome the suggestion. That carnal nature in you is not necessarily the world, but all that ministers to it is the world. The natural disposition in you to count the commandments of God grievous is very strong. 
Do you feel its strength? Are you sensitive alive to its continual and powerful working? Does it vex and distress you? If so, and in proportion as it is so, you are in a position to discern this and mark by which the world may be known, whether as an order of things or as a fellowship of men. Let it be fixed in your mind as a great truth that the world to be overcome comprehends all that you come in contact with which has any tendency to awaken in you the feeling that God's commandments are grievous. In other words, if we get to the point that we think, well, uh, the Word of God and His commandments, you know, they're they're just... uh, they're grievous to us. Well, the world is beginning to take over to us. We have that, we're tempted sometimes in that way. Sometimes we see someone going through a great trial or affliction. And we want to think within ourselves, they don't deserve that. Are we not being tempted by the world? When we go through trials and afflictions, unless God intervenes in a great way, it affects us spiritually quite often and we become downcast, doubtful, questioning God, want to just give up, A dear sister that we know of that's been undergoing great build, a uh, great deal of pain and affliction because of the burns of her body, uh, just you know, uh, even testified to me recently how you know, she just wants to go on and be with God. She just wants to quit hurting, and we all know what it is when we're sick and kindly down and out. We just want to give up sometimes. We are tempted. We are tried. And it's real. But you know, beloved, the reason you haven't given up is because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. No, as I said before, we don't feel that electrifying sensation or some pulsating uh, energy shooting through our body and causing us to think, that's the Holy Spirit. 
But we're more like the Apostle Paul when he said, when I am weak, then I am strong. When we're downcast, when we don't have any other place to go, we're like Peter of old and we say, Lord, to whom shall I go? I don't have any other place to go but to you. And we continue to hang on. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh. The first overcometh, as we said, is present active and negative in the original language. The second overcometh is aorist active participle. Now that doesn't mean anything to you, but it's, it, it's the idea of action not in progress, but as a simple fact. In other words, whatsoever born of God is continually overcoming the world And this is the fact of overcoming our faith. Our faith. And I like that. You see, God doesn't tell us that the strength is in us. It's the faith that God has given us. The faith that God has given us. Or as we might say in 1 John 4.4, it is He that is greater than He that is in the world. In other words, the Holy Spirit. Satan is the God of this world according to 2 Corinthians 4.4. And it's not that we ourselves are greater than Satan. Nevertheless, it is us. We are the ones that overcome. It's like Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, For it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. We, you know, too many people have the idea, which is actually Arminianism, that God regenerates you And then He leaves it up to you as to whether you use God's graces to overcome or not. But the Scripture teaches us that God regenerates us and yes, we are to exercise our faith and we are to work 
without our salvation with fear and trembling, but we can't do it without God working in us too. Or working in us also. You remember Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. We can't do anything if God leaves us to ourselves. Yes, we do not overcome by some power or ability or wisdom from within ourselves. We overcome by the faith that is given to us by the power of God at the new birth. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. We are not only saved from the wrath of God, But we're saved in a daily way because of the faith that is given to us by God in regeneration. Galatians 5.22 makes it plain that faith is uh, a fruit of the Holy Spirit. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1 says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, God gives us faith. We are given faith. Faith is given to us by God. Faith is not something that resides in man. Man cannot just create faith in his own uh, ability. Man can't believe unless God makes him alive or regenerates him. And it is not because it's not our faith in the fact that it's uh, not because that it was produced by us, but it's given to us. And the faith we have individually is unique to each one of us. Habakkuk 2 4 talks about uh, the just shall live by his faith. Not that it's faith that he has generated in himself, but it is faith. Well, let me put it this way God gives you faith, and you have faith. It's yours. And faith that is given to each child of grace is a living faith. 
Look at James chapter 2. You know, people who say that you can be born again and then live any way you want to, they're saying that God's faith is not effectual. But James, well, let's just start at verse 17. James 2.17 Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say that I have faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. The devils have more faith, you might say, in one sense, than a lot of so-called professing Christians. And the devils are not saved. They even know that they're going to be cast into hell or the lake of fire. You remember when Jesus came on the scene? Time and time again, the devils would cry out, Hast thou come to torment us before the time? We know who you are. Faith is more than just a testimony. It's a way of life. That's what 1 John is telling us. Verse 20, James 2. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Faith without works is dead. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? In other words, when Abraham offered Isaac upon the altar, it proved that he was a justified man. It didn't make him justified. It proved that he was justified. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? Faith is not a real, genuine, mature faith. It's not perfect. It's not a real, genuine faith if it doesn't have works. And the Scripture was fulfilled which saith Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only or alone. 
Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Faith without works is dead also. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Faith overcomes the world. Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. The Holy Spirit who works faith overcomes the world. And who is it that overcometh the world? 1 John 5, 5. But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. He that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. He overcomes the world. Look at 1 John 4.15 Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. The believer is the believer. It's the believer. He that overcometh, who is it that overcometh the world? It's he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. It's not, it's more than just a confession, it's a way of life. You cannot separate the way of life from true belief. Just to say, that Jesus is the Christ is not enough. Just to believe that there's one God is not enough. There are people that don't even believe that there's one God. They believe the Father's God. They believe that the Son is a different God and the Holy Spirit is a different God. Some say God is the Father is God, but the Son Jesus is just the first creation of God. And then the Holy Spirit is a creation of the Father and the Son. You've got people that believe all different kinds of things. But it is essential that our faith in Christ is a genuine faith that produces works that loves God and loves the commandments of God and loves the children of God really we can't even though we've divided it up verses 1 through 3 and the verses uh, uh, 4 and 5 even though we've made a division somewhat in this in reality, it all goes together. 
And if we really were looking at it all together, we would take the last part of chapter 4 and hook it on to the first part of chapter 5 and then read it together. And you could see that he that is born of God overcomes the world. He that is born of God has the faith of God that overcomes the world. He that is born of God loves God. He that is born of God loves the commandments of God. He that is born of God loves the children of God. And I'm going to be quick to say, he that loves God loves to be with the children of God in the house of God. And if he loves God and loves the commandments of God, he's going to love to be baptized. He's not going to just wait around. And he's going to love to be at the house of God when the Lord's Supper is being uh, administered. And when you take people that can just quote, go to church, end of quote, on a convenient basis, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. Due to some health issues and the weather here lately, I have witnessed and viewed some sermons that are being presented online in a video way. And it is a, it's a noticeable difference. I'll just put it that way. Now some congregations on Sunday morning have a pretty good sized crowd. But on Sunday night, not so much. And some that have Wednesday night service, even lesser. There's something wrong. There's something wrong. I'm not talking about just an occasional or incidentally that happened. It's just kindly a pattern. Hebrews 10.39 Well, let's read verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we, children of God, are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul.
Though we read it, this, some of it this morning, I want to go back and draw our attention again to John chapter 10. John 10, verses 3 and 4, To Him, that is, uh, to the shepherd, the porter openeth, and the sheep hear His, that is, the shepherd's voice, and He calleth His own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when He putteth forth His own sheep, He goeth before them, and the sheep follow Him, for they know His voice." The sheep, the children of God, follow the shepherd. They know His voice. I remember when I was in Jerusalem in 1972, riding on the tour bus in the middle of the street of Jerusalem, with cars going to and fro, traffic on both sides, some going this way, the others going the other way. But in the middle of that traffic, there was no shepherd leading his sheep in the midst of those cars. Not one sheep stepped out in the middle of the car, either going one way or the other. They followed the shepherd and they knew his voice. That's the analogy that our Lord tells us. The sheep follow the voice of the shepherd. And in verse 5, And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of, strang of, of strangers. God's sheep follow the shepherd. That's what Jesus said. Said it in no uncertain terms. And in verse 14, we'll skip a lot of it for time's sake. I am the good shepherd. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And know my sheep. And am known of mine. He said, I not only know the sheep, the sheep know me. He reiterated what He said up above. They know Christ. They follow Christ. Why? Because of the faith that is in them is a living faith. Dropping down to verse 27, 
My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. They follow me. And I give them eternal life. You say, well, that just means that He's going to uh, take them to heaven. No, because He tells us what eternal life is. Look in John 17. John chapter 17, Jesus praying to the Father. Starting in verse 1, Jesus said, Father, the hour has come, glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Uh, now, what is eternal life? Notice the next verse. And this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. Jesus said, I give My sheep eternal life. Jesus said, eternal life is knowing the true God and Jesus Christ that the true God sent. I don't know how it can be any plainer. Is this not what our Lord inspired John to write again in 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5? Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Obviously, we could preach several sermons on what it means to be the Son of God, but we won't do that. But I believe that it can safely be said that God's children serve Christ. They don't serve Buddha. They don't serve Shinto. They don't serve Muhammad. They don't serve any other but the true and the living God, Jehovah, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God that created the universe the heavens and the earth, the God that brings the seasons. You know, we had some cold weather the last few days. People say, well, the weather's this, the weather's that, the weather this. I wish someone would say, God sent us a freeze that we might repent. In fact, I wonder if if the freeze that God sent is not a warning for us to repent, that He might send another one and cause the grid to fail.
Oh, I know they've called it El Nino and El this and El that. And they may uh, put names to some of the patterns of the weather. But the patterns in the weather is what God has ordained. There are trade winds. There are trade currents in the ocean. I don't deny that. But God can overrule any of that anytime He wants to. Beloved, it was God that sent the freeze. It wasn't just the weather. And when, and when springtime comes, that'll be God. When summer is here, that'll be God. We either serve God or we don't. We make God the center of everything or we make something else. The world. So I would ask that we revolutionize our thinking if we need to. Well, this next section, verses 6 through 9, I will forewarn you we're going to be a long time on it. Because in this is one of the most controversial verses that's found in the Word of God that is being challenged in the day in which we live. And I'm going to spend quite a bit of time because I believe 1 John 5-7 is divinely inspired of God and is to be is, and it is part of the Word of God. I read this earlier. I'll read it again in its context. But Robert Trail, a man that lived from 1793 through 1847, so made this statement talking about 1 John 5, 7. He said, A place of Scripture that the devil's diligence hath not been small to weaken and to beat out of the Bible, though in vain. In other words, he was saying that the devil has done all he could to try to get 1 John 5, 7 out of the Bible, but it's still there. In all of your modern translations, maybe one exception. If they don't leave it out altogether, Make a note, and even some Bibles that profess to be King James will have a center reference in it to say, this verse is not in the best manuscripts. That's a lie. I believe it's a lie, and I believe it's there uh, by the intention of the devil 
to try to weaken the validity of God's Word. I want, you say, with that pretty strong language, I want people to know where I stand. And I'm not just barking up a tree. There have been many scholars that have testified to the truth of 1 John 5, 7 being authentic. But you won't hear that much today by modern preachers. They're either the enemy of God, these modern preachers, or they're deceived. I'll just leave that in God's hands. That's what I believe. But anyway, uh, I hope to. Uh, I hope that I won't uh, wear you out. But uh, while this congregation may not need as much proof as I'm going to be giving, or much material as I'm going to be giving, I want it to be on the internet. I want it to be out there, uh, and hopefully, it will be of a benefit and encouragement to some and testify to the truth of the Word of God. But enough of that. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Bless us to earnestly contend for the faith that is once delivered for the saints. And not compromise to the glory of Christ. Amen.